everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden, coming to you in the spring of 2020, a strange and unprecedented moment for people around the globe. COVID-19, code for a global pandemic, the novel coronavirus, is now a word that we hear almost every day. This is a unique and important time for leaders within faith institutions and for people of faith to be present, thoughtful, and engaged. It's a time when we rely on and critically examine the words and meaning of our faith to see what holds true now and what gives us direction for the world we hope will emerge when we all come out of our houses and can be together again in person. We offer this, our fourth season of the podcast, to you as we examine, as always, the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. Being in confinement is something that we experienced. There were times when either during change of uh, regime or government, it's not safe to go out. So going through those moments or situation or time, it builds in you a sense of like accepting what is beyond your control and you accept that with uh, hope that things will change but you make the best out of the day you are living. I'm grateful for today and uh, hopeful that tomorrow will be better. This situation is kind of reminding us that you know we may have plans but we might not have control. My guest today is the Reverend Gad Mpoyo, who was born in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and today is pastor of Shalom International Ministry, a new worshiping community in Clarkston, Georgia, one of the most diverse cities in the United States. He's also my colleague on the 1001 staff, serving as the Southeastern Associate for 1001. On this episode, Gad talks about what it was like to be unable to leave the house before during times of political change in the Congo, and draws on those experiences as we explore what it might look like to build a more resilient faith and witness. Gad, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me for the second time. Yes, you are um, are our most highly requested returned guest. A lot has changed since the first time Uh, We had a conversation about Shalom International and church planting and life Mm -hmm. back in season one of the podcast. Um, We're several conversations into this season focusing on life during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you could describe for us what is happening in your house today, (laughs) like all all the things that are happening. (laughs) Yeah, life uh, in uh, our family uh, right now, it changes almost every day. Because when uh, the news about COVID started and then things uh, started to shut down, first it was uh, kind of a life of panic, disorientation, because we were trying to learn a new way of living. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, for me, part of my time was traveling and then coming back home and all that stopped uh, for our children it was going to school, now shifting to studying online. So it, it was really kind of chaotic life <laughs> in, in a way uh, where everybody's trying to figure out what the best can we get out of this situation. So we, we kind of move from, you know, the, the crisis 
trying to figure out, you know, how to do almost everything online to get to a point where we've kind of adapted and kind of realizing that this is the new way of living. It's temporary, but we have to make the best of, out of it. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> with concrete examples, uh, <laughs> I remember, like, with my children. Well, we have three children, mm-hmm. Elian, Elga, and uh, Gad Jr. Mm-hmm. We call him Time. And how old are, how old are each of them right now? Uh, seven. Yeah. Elga just turned six yesterday. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Time is uh, five. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the changes, uh, <clears throat> we were getting... Uh, school uh, homework or assignment or class lessons at the same time. And it was kind of hard to manage three kids uh, doing their homework. Uh. <laughs> Period. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that, that cartoon where it's like, log in to gobbledygook, and then I ignored those passwords in September. Like, now they're coming back to haunt me. And, <laughs> and even the, the Zoom account, like, you, yeah. you you get confused from one account to from one child to another yeah, like child. Yeah, like, six-year-old has a Zoom account. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, like I said, it it was really hard at the beginning, but now we're getting used to it. But it's still hard because I'm I'm trying to take it from parents' perspective and also children's perspective. Like Elga, and oftentimes she asks me, like, why are we not going to school or why are we not going out? Like yesterday, that that was her birthday, and. She has been planning about this birthday for quite some time. She wanted a friend to come over. and uh, so. But we had to be, you know, creative, having her friends send videos and audios. And uh, so it's kind of just how we make the best, you know, out of this situation, you know, a family setting. And with the kids also staying at home, we've seen, you know, Sylvia and I have seen even the rhythm of kind of daily life, you know, has changed they tend to go to bed a, a little bit late than the normal uh, time and then wake up not at 6, 7, maybe 8 because at, you know, 9 they will have, you know, their online classes. So so it's it's, it's kind of different, but we, we're trying to make the best out of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like, looking back in the last year of our family, which, of course, Chris and I travel a good bit too, there was such a element of the handoff of like here are the here's the handoff between work and school and mm-hmm. life at home like okay you're headed to a meeting here's what's going on with the kids like here's the punishment that we need to enforce tonight or whatever <laughs> or the reward or you know whatever but now we we have a rhythm in some ways there's a a joy in that of being able to provide some sense of consistency, but also that when you said Elga's birthday, like that's a big birthday for a kid, six years old. And, you know, I'm curious when, when she asks, cause they know kind of, they know that something's shifted obviously in the terminology for it, but how do we as parents, what are the words that we use to say why we're doing what we're doing and, and the intentionality behind the framework of like, mm-hmm. do we say, well, it's cause we were told not to, you know, or whatever. Do we interpret it in the larger scheme of like we're all working together to not spread germs and to, to help make people be able to heal faster, et cetera? Yeah. I don't know what words you use, but maybe she doesn't want to be preached at. I don't know. 
actually, she, Helga, she's the one who is kind of preaching to all of us. Uh, mm. You wow. know, like when um, either I sneeze or somebody, you know, uh, sneeze, she'll be like, yeah, you need to cover. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. then when I, when I go out for, like, buy groceries and... And she was like, Daddy, did you wash your hands? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these are these are some of the things from the beginning we started to talk to them, like, you know, there you know, germs out there and so for us to be safe, uh, that's why you know, you're no longer going to school. It's temporary. We don't know exactly where we'll go back, but we'll stay home and uh wash your hands and kind of observe all those, you know, hygiene and you describe it in in a really simple way and kids you know they get it and and when they notice that even adult we forget it, like now uh, when we buy even fruits and the first thing is you know is to you know wash and mm-hmm. all, all that so so it's in those kind of terms that we have been communicating uh, uh, with kids and even going back to the birthday we can do it in a different way but meaningful mm-hmm. and she she really uh, uh loved it like friends called and uh, they sent like i say they sent videos so and we you know sang for her got a cake for her so what would you hope your kids would remember about this time you know first of all they they're kids right now they know things have changed but i think what is mo- most important and i hope they will remember is that even during you know, this time when they were living in confinement, you know, at time they had the cabin fever, but mm-hmm. parents were present for them. Mm-hmm. You know, daddy, mommy continue to care. And the other kind of looking, the flip side of it, like mm-hmm. you were saying, Sarah, like before, you know, we'll have a schedule, we will go out work. But I think they will remember that though this was a difficult time. They had to spend time with their parent. They had to play with, you know, their parent. They had to watch cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, with their parents. So, and when they grow up, I hope they will remember that we had parents who were resilient. Because mm-hmm. in their world, apart from not going out, but they see that they have a shelter, they have food coming on the table. But I think when they grow up, that's when they will kind of understand the magnitude or seriousness of this situation. I think they, what's important is for them to have uh, those uh, good uh, souvenir or moment mm. in the midst of a crisis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, buddy. I've got a interloper. You want to say something? Have a good night. Have a good night. Stay in your bed, okay? Okay, I'll try to. Okay. I'll try to. (laughs) It was making me think of, like, what you were saying, Gad, about once, like, this idea of not being a people and then being God's people. I mean, for me, the whole COVID reality has brought a new awareness of the interconnectedness of things and mm-hmm. um, just the, the commonalities of human experience that we've said before that nobody's going through exactly the same thing. And I don't want to pretend that the experience of social distance is the same for anyone mm-hmm. to me in choosing how we frame 
and what we recall and the stories that we listen to and the ways that we talk about what is going on to our children. There are choices within that as to how we how we live, even though it feels like as a, a white American, choices have been, you know, you feel that the choices have been taken away and that that's the predominant experience versus this idea of like, the choices that we have um, are the most beautiful choices of all in terms of like what story do we live in mm-hmm. and what narrative do we choose that's our predominant narrative. Um, so that's what it brings up to me and your the experience you just recalled and, uh, and shared. You know, this time, for instance, here, we might feel like our choices have been reduced or cut. Yeah. Maybe my choice of going to the coffee shop, my choice of going to the movie, my, mm-hmm. it's no longer the case. But it's a time where um, it's bringing us to more together, especially f- for people who don't have a lot of choices before them. What I'm trying to say is, for instance, at my house, apart from my three children, mm-hmm. I also have uh, my nieces and nephew who stay with me. Mm-hmm. And when COVID kind of started, so I got a, a call from home that there are two of my relatives who have been staying in New York and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, one is uh, in boarding school and, and the other one is a college student. So in moments like this, when you, you get parents who are, outside the country and they have their children and what they get on the news, it's very difficult for them. So they ask me, like, can you have their children at our house? And and then I say, oh, of course, because this this is the time when we need to get together because they are young. So for them to either stay in the dorm where everything is locked, they will feel isolated, mm-hmm. they will feel alone and that can even generate into some mental, you know, stress and all that. Yeah, but yeah, just... for them to feel like they have a place, mm-hmm. it makes a big difference not only for their parent, but also for themselves because they know that they are safe. And yeah. not only they are safe, but they are part of a family. Mm-hmm. So that's, we have more people than in <laughs> But it's 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 fun. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, you think about the difference it makes in someone's life to be left to fend, you know, to figure it out, or chosen, you know, into a family and welcomed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I, everything. Yeah, and I like nobody did foresee COVID nineteen coming, so everything had to change and. And for, you know, students whose parents are outside the country and they are themselves here, basically choices are very limited. Like, you cannot travel back home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You cannot stay uh, in the dorm because almost everything is closing. So what you get is few connection and contact that they have from back home by the people who are here. And that's how, you know, I received the call to say, yeah, can you have my two children at your place? Mm-hmm. And that kind of brought back that sense of community because living in community 
means that in goods and and difficult time we still have to be together because it's creating in a sense of the parent a sense of peace from a distance that our children are safe and also even for the kids themselves it creates a sense that they are not alone but they have somebody who care for them and then when they come we are together at home so it create a different dynamic but we make it work yeah mm-hmm. i'm glad you mentioned <laughs> resiliency that's something you and i've talked about before is mm-hmm. growing up in very different cultural contexts uh, i grew up in kansas city in the suburbs you have lived in several different countries and um, i have expressed to you before of like situations that said, oh, that must have been horrible and frustrating. And I've been outraged on your behalf before. <laughs> like, and you're like, it's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, I've just always thought it's funny how quickly I veer away from resiliency or just sort of outrage about the unpredictability of things or discomfort mm-hmm. in that. And the way that you have reframe for me or your natural go-to is not to freak out, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. about situations that are beyond our control or mm-hmm. to be able to scope what is in your control and what is not and to be at peace with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you could reflect on that just in your own life. Does that resonate what I'm asking? Oh, yeah. Uh, it yeah. it's really resonate with me, especially this uh, COVID-19 pandemic mm-hmm. uh, situation. You know, there are a couple of things uh, which are related to, you know, resilience. This is a, you know, hard thing to do. Uh, you know, you stay 24 hours in one place. And uh, when I hear either on social media and uh, even when people talk about, you know, how hard it, it is, you know, how do you cope in such situation? So it's kind of reminding me of, time that we have experienced back home in Congo and even many of members of Shalom, especially those who were places where they experienced war. So being in confinement is, you know, something that we experienced. There were times when uh, either during change of uh, regime or government, it's not safe to go out. So at a certain time, you have to be home or you have to stay home for a couple of days. So going through those moments or situation or time, it builds in you um, kind of a, a sense of like accepting what is beyond your control. Mm. And you accept that with uh, hope that things will change, but you make the best out of the day you are living. <laughs> hmm. So it's like I'm grateful for today and uh, hopeful that tomorrow will be better. And I think it's very challenging in this context where we plan things, you know, six months, one year, two, five years ahead. And yeah. like right now, everything is shut down. I, I hear even like in meetings, you know, uh, counseling events and and all that because it's it's part of the culture of uh, somehow controlling the present and the future. Yes. But this situation is kind of reminding us that, you know, we may have plans, but we might not have control, you know, over 
either nature or, or like this, you know, virus. Even science now, they, they're still struggling to find, you know, a, a cure and control. Yeah, that's why sometimes we hear uh, even the way they give prediction. So they give those, but it's a way to... Satisfy <laughs> us, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but still, there is that lack of control. Yeah. But the question is, like, when we don't have that or we like that, how are we responding to it? Yeah. And living in those time when you don't know what tomorrow will bring, but being content with what you are being given today has helped us even to cope, you know, with... Uh, this situation we are living in today. So mm -hmm. the, the sense of resilience in this time. Yeah. It makes me, as someone who really resists uncertainty and resists sort of abiding in the unknown, makes me hunger in a way and yearn for the kind of peace that you're talking about and to be grateful in the midst of the tremendous loss of this time, that there's an opportunity to grow as a human being and to grow as a person of faith. And I'm curious what ages you remember experiencing that and, and the people that you were with, how you spent and passed the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, are, you know, a couple of instances, uh, but I'll name to, I think it was nine, in the 90s, 1991, 90, there was um, a time when um, the government was not uh, stable mm -hmm. and soldiers were not paid uh, as they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. So they went on the street and started looting. They went and got into like stores. And of course, the population also joined. So they went and took almost everything in, in the stores. And at that time, my father was uh, the director of the United Methodist uh, bookstore. Mm -hmm. So I remember they took everything. And the town was paralyzed because there was nothing in the stores. The little things that remain, people would sell it in a black market, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Today, you know, you look for like paper towel, hand sanitizer. Yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> so when I see these, I'm like, yeah, we we experienced it. Yes. <laughs> so after, you know, they took almost everything. So we were forced to stay home. My parents could not work. So it was time when we came uh, together as, as family. We ate the little that we had. You know, there were times when we'll eat maybe once a day or you have very light breakfast and then maybe have dinner mm -hmm. for the families that could afford. <laughs> there were also families that it was really tough. And we used to joke that when you eat around 10, 11 p.m., it's like you're eating for today and tomorrow. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, during those, like, hard time, we had a, a sense of really staying together as a family and also helping each other. Those who had little, they could share also with others. 
And also it was a time when cut off our faith became stronger because I remember we could pray every evening uh, as a family. And after that time, we, we, we came out even stronger than before. So, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about the gift that uh, those who know you as pastor and friend and daddy, you know, that they have to receive from your just gracious wisdom. Mm-hmm. You can learn more about Shalom, even join them for worship online and donate to its current fundraising campaign to support people in the community affected by COVID-19. Simply visit them online at shalominternationalministry.com. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. You can see and share stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. And you can visit us online at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.